So in this verse is Lord Krishna is explaining Vidwan and Avidwan, a person who is enlightened or wise person as against another wise person. We cannot we should not call him ignorant person. Really ignorance is there. But here ignorance is not just absence of knowledge. Ignorance is false knowledge. That's the problem. If ignorance were just absence of knowledge, perhaps we would not have much problem. But ignorance is wrong knowledge, false knowledge, false perception. So what's the knowledge? Knowledge is, as we said yesterday, the two entities are involved here, the Purusha and Prakriti, the person, the personality, or the self and non-self. Where is body, sense, mind complex forms what we call the personality, call it non-self, call it costume, like an actor and a costume. So his body, sense, mind complex is a costume for the self or the atma or the consciousness of the person. Now who is the ignorant person? Ignorant person like an actor who identifies with the costume and thinks that he is a beggar, he is a king. So as he keeps changing the costumes, his notions about himself also keep on changing. Now he thinks a beggar, then he thinks a king, then a minister. What is the costume? So costume is subject to change, let us say, and therefore different notions are entertained by the actor. So it is not that he does not know himself. He knows who he is, but he knows it wrongly. Meaning, he does not know that I am a wealthy person, but takes himself to a beggar or whatever the costume is. This is called identification with costume. Equating myself with the costume. So the actor equates himself with the costume. And therefore, 
takes himself to be as good or as limited or as much as a costume. That's the unenlightened actor. Who is the enlightened actor? Enlightened actor also plays the role of a beggar, but is aware of his identity that I am an actor, that this is the costume. I am separate from the costume. But the costume may not be separate from me, but I am different from the costume. I am not limited by costume. Whatever the costume is, whatever the role is, whether it's a beggar or it's a whatever it is, it can be villain, it can be anything. But he is aware of his true identity. Therefore, he does not become identif- not identified. That's the reason why he does not suffer <coughs> the pain of a beggar. The beggar has to play a role where, you know, he has to cry, he's insulted, he's hungry. All these things happen to a beggar. This actor, if he takes himself to a beggar, then he's hungry, he's crying, he's insulted. What happens to the beggar happens to the actor because the difference between the two has been erased. The difference between the costume and the actor is erased because of identification. Never, whatever happens to the role happens to the person playing the role. That is called that is called being attached, being being identified. So that is how prakrute guna sammuraha sajjante guna karmasu Lord Krishna said. Those people who are identified with the costume. In our case, the body, sense, mind, costume. It is the costume of a beggar because it's a limited thing. However great the body is, mind is, senses are, they're still limited. With reference to self, there is limitless, regardless of how great this is, it's still limited. And then nobody can ever feel satisfied by thinking that I'm the costume, then I'm a, I'm a limited being, that thought will always be there. And there were one would always suffer from a sense of limitation, from a sense of inadequacy, from a sense of isolation, whatever. You'll suffer. For no reason. Imagine an actor who is a multimillionaire, maybe a billionaire, and suffering from hunger, suffering from insults, suffering from deprivation, suffering from poverty. There's no room, reason for him. But he suffers nevertheless. So this is called ignorance. That is ignorance which brings about wrong notion of false perception. <clears throat> so Lord Krishna said, look, all the actions are being performed at the level of body, sense in the mind complex. Because you see, to perform an action, change is required. Even for me to talk, for example, the one who is talking also undergoes the change corresponding to what I am talking, isn't it? So now, also now I am talking, then I may be listening, then I may be eating, and therefore the doer always keeps on changing. So action requires change. So what is it that can perform action? That which is available for changing alone can be the locus of action. Matter, the body, senses, mind, they are changing uh, entities. Therefore, action can only have the locus in this changing personality. Whereas server consciousness is changeless. Sthanamu. So sthanam means what? Firm, changeless. Kutastha, again changeless. Nityaha, Nityaha, Shashvataha, Sthanamu, Achalaha. As second chapter says that the self is nitya, meaning beyond the limitation of time. Sarvagataha, all beyond the limitation of space. Sthanahu, beyond any change or moment. So, I, the self, is changeless, free from limitation of time, limitation of space. That's my real... Now, therefore, the self is not available for action, because there's no change. That is why it is said, Prakrutehe gunai sarvani karmani kriyamanani. All the actions are performed by the modifications of prakruti. Whereas the self is actionless. What's the role of the self? Just to be there, presiding over, eliminating everything. Just in presence of self, things take place. 
In fact, Lord Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, ninth chapter, in my presence the creation, sustenance, dissolution take place. Maya adjekshena prakriti suyate sacharacharam. Lord Krishna says, it is in my conscious presence. Because consciousness, presence is the nature of Ishvara or the Self. In my presence alone, Prakriti gets enlivened and performs the roles of creation, sustenance, dissolution, etc. Meaning that Brahman or the Self does not participate. There is no need to participate. For making things happen, there is no need to do anything on the part of Brahman, on the part of Ishvara. Ultimately, if you needed to do something for creating this universe, even a slight effort was needed on the part of Ishwara. You know, this creation, sustenance, this process are going on from time beginningless. Even a little effort, if he has to expand, in course of time, he'll get exhausted, will he not? Where there is an effort, there is a strain, there is some wear and tear. So Ishwara also in course of time wearing and tearing and he will be perishable. If there is any change in the self or in Ishwara or Brahman, it will be perishable. And truth cannot be perishable. Satyam, Jnanam, Anandam. For self to be imperishable, it has to be changeless. It's free from birth, free from growth, decay, all changes. So truth or reality must be changeless, understand this. Because you cannot call it truth if it is changing. You know, in our common parlance also, what do we call truth? This fellow is speaking truth. When do we say that? He is consistent. What he said yesterday is what he is saying today and he will say tomorrow. What he said in one place is what he says in another place, in the third place. Meaning that what he says does not change with reference to time, with reference to place. And before police also he will say that. Otherwise, you know, he says different things in different situations. No. When he consistently says the same thing in, at all times, at all places, and all conditions, then we say that he is telling truth. So we understand truth is that which does not change with reference to time, place, or condition. That alone can be called truth. In our relative world, the truth is generally understood. Then what sort of absolute truth? And there were truths, Self, Brahman, Consciousness, God, Ishwara, whatever you call. In the ultimate nature, has to be changeless. Free from modification. There has to be non-dual also. If there are two entities, they will, they will impact each other and they will bring about change in each other. Therefore, for something to be changeless, has to be one without a second. Has to be non-dual. If there is water, and if there is air, then air will impact the water. There will be waves in the water. Changes will be there. But here, self is changeless. It is non-dual. <coughs> Therefore, there, there cannot be any action. There is no need for any action also. But Swami, the whole universe is so active. There is so many activities that are going on. You mean God does not do anything? If God is to turn sun around and moon around and things like that, he'll get tired, exhausted. So, in fact, for God to be God, he has to be changeless, has to be ever the same, then alone he can be also infallible and reliable. That which keeps changing is not reliable also because you see it one way now and then it turns out to be something else, then you don't know what to make out of it. So, what is infallible, what is trustworthy, what is reliable, has to be changeless. So, truth has to be changeless. And self happens to be the truth, therefore, the self is changeless. How do you explain all the changes taking place? All changes take place in the costume, in the personality, in the body, sense, mind complex. Of course, this is inert, therefore, it is not capable of changing on its own. It changes in the presence of consciousness. In presence of consciousness, this personality, the matter, call it maya, prakruti, it gets enlivened and does its job. This is reality. 
one is identified with prakriti, with the body, mind and complex things, I am doing it. Karta amitamanyate, this ignorant person. And therefore, he's, 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 he's an, he has the ego that I am doing this. Since I did it, the outcome belongs to me. Therefore, identification or attachment to the outcome. So, attachment becomes the outcome of ignorance. Ignorance brings about identification, brings about sense of individuality, sense of doership, sense of ownership, that I did this, I own this outcome. If the outcome is what I like, I'm happy, elated, I don't like, I'm depressed. This is bondage. Tattvittu mahabhau guna karma vibhagayoho Tattvitt, one who knows the truth, knows himself as consciousness, as Brahman, as limitless, as changeless, as a mere presence. And all the karma is a guna, all the modifications of matter, the body, mind, senses, they perform all the actions. He knows this. Gunaha gunaishuvartande he realizes that this one packet of matter interacts with another packet of matter. These objects of the world also are matter. This body, mind, sense also is matter. Matter interacting with matter is called karma, is called action. Iti matva, knowing this, nasagyate, he is not in any way affected by what the karma is, what the outcome is, is unaffected. Not that his emotion is, 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 is you know, unemotional or something. Not affected in knowledge. See, a person who is insensitive also is unaffected. And a person who knows also is unaffected, both ways. This beggar can be so insensitive regarding the body, you tell him nothing happens to him, you know. Then also he is not affected. Or, the actor knows what my real identity is. That way he knows what is happening is all at the level of the costume. It doesn't happen to me. And also it's not affected. So this is what we want. It is by knowledge that this is called detachment of knowledge by which Nasajjata is unaffected. Meaning that he retains the calmness or equipoise of his mind. He always retains his compassion or love if that's what, you know, always. Nothing that affects his compassion or love. Nothing that affects his calmness. Because nothing affects him. Nothing ever, you know, nothing ever affects his limitlessness. Nothing ever affects his wholeness. Because that is beyond reach. I mean, when you insult the beggar, the insult reaches only up to the costume, it never reaches the actor. And similarly also, whatever happens, happens at the level of the body-mind complex, never at the level of self, and therefore, ever unaffected ever abiding in his own limitlessness, in his limit wholeness, Nasajjata is unaffected. <coughs> so this is how the difference between the ignorant and the wise person is explained by Lord Krishna with reference to karma. In different references you can explain it differently. With reference to karma, this is how the difference is explained. Alright, so everybody is ignorant. Everybody's identification. Everybody takes himself to be karta. Meaning that everybody takes himself to be doer and enjoyer because of habitual identification with the body-mind complex. So everybody takes himself, herself to be a limited being. So what should you do? This is where we are. What we, what we have to do is slowly and slowly de-identify ourselves. Right now, I am rooted where? In body-mind-sense complex because that's what I call I. Slowly the focus has to change and the focus has to become the very self. That is where I should be rooted. That is done in two stages. First stage is karma-yoga, second stage is jnana-yoga, karma and knowledge. Therefore, in the next verse, the 30th verse, Lord Krishna summarizes the Karma Yoga, telling what an ignorant person should do. Everybody is ignorant. He should become a yogi. And what spirit the action should be performed. So this is the Karma Yoga. 
is very beautifully summarized in this verse here, verse number 30. Mai Sarvani Karmani Sanyasya Dhyatma Chetasa Nirashir Nirmamo Bhutva Yudhyasvavigata Jvaraha See, first the, the wise and the ignorant. Now, ignorant also can be divided into two categories. Intelligent and unintelligent. An ignorant person also, if he lives life intelligently, then someday he will become enlightened. However, ignorant person lives life unintelligently, he is in fact getting farther and farther away from the knowledge or wholeness. So even though I feel a sense of limitation, if I know the sense of limitation that I feel is not real, that truly my nature, my nature is limitlessness. That even though I feel a sense of limitation, it is not real. In that case, an intelligent person does not give reality to his feeling of limitation, limitedness. Instead, he gives reality to the fact that I am limitless. So, you have two ways of living the life. Either justifying limitedness and making that as the basis of your life or recognizing that limitedness is not right, limitlessness is reality, making limitlessness as the basis of your life. That we said yesterday, what is intelligent living? Intelligent living is that which is based on the reality of life. So, reality of myself is that I am whole or complete or limitless. That is right now a possibility, not a reality, but that's a reality about myself. How to make it a reality? How, what is a fact? How should it become a reality? If I live a life based on, you know, the fact that limitless in my nature, if that becomes the basis of my life, then someday or progressively it keeps becoming reality. That's the life of yoga. Who is a samsari? Samsari is the one, or bhogi is the one, or unintelligent one, who keeps on justifying his sense of limitedness, limit, justifying his inadequacy, and always wants to become adequate. He wants the world to make him adequate. That I am inadequate, I am wanting, I am lacking. Oh world, you make me, you eliminate me, you remove my lack and want. This, so one style, lifestyle is, that I act in such a manner that slowly and slowly the adequacy which is my nature becomes evident. Second lifestyle is inadequacy is a basis. I beg of the world, please make me adequate. Which never happens. So thus, one is a life of freedom, other is a life of bondage. This person is a karma yogi. Intelligent person is a karma yogi. So now if you know that you are limitless, no means at least there is a possibility. You know, after this listening to Vedanta, it makes sense. That as we say, truth has to be limitless. There cannot be two truths. Because then each one becomes limited. Truth has to be one. And for it to be truth, it has to be changeless. Has to be boundless. Has to be limitless, has to be complete, makes sense. Has to be conscious also. And only one conscious being is there, that's I, the subject is conscious. Therefore, consciousness is my nature, that Brahman is my nature, that is understandable. It's all in keeping with our, if you analyze our experience, it also becomes very clear. If I ask myself, what do I love? I love the pleased self, I love happiness. So, there is always love for one's own nature. I never love unhappiness or sorrow, I love happiness. That shows that happiness has to be my nature. Otherwise, I would have been, I'm uncomfortable with unhappiness or sorrow. I'm very comfortable with happiness. If unhappiness was my nature, I would have been comfortable being unhappy. 
I am not. That everybody knows also. Whom do we give consolation or condolence? We console a person when the person is unhappy. Is it not so? When somebody is celebrating birthday, you don't say, oh, I'm so, you know, you know, so sad that you're celebrating your birthday today, you know. So unfortunate. You don't say. He's happy. So when unhappy, he failed his test. Or did not get the admission where he wanted. Whatever it is, what he looks upon as an unpleasant thing. Vedanta says nothing is unpleasant, but what person looks upon. Then we console him. Unhappiness. We know that unhappiness is not the nature. Instinctively we know. We always honor happiness and we do not honor unhappiness. All of this shows that happiness has to be the nature, has to be the truth. That means happiness is my nature, limitless is my nature. If you want to make that as the basis of your life, then this verse will be fine. Lord Krishna says, Mai Sarvani Karmani Sanyasya. This Sanyasya word is a, you know, Sanyasya doesn't mean renouncing here, it means offering. So, us means to throw. Sanyas, so here means very well offering, that's all it means here. Meaning, Mai to in me, Sarvani Karmani, all the actions. Sanyasi offering, Lord Krishna says, offering all the actions to me. All does not include unbecoming actions, of course. All right, Swami, thank you very much. So today I'm going to commit a theft, I've planned very well, I'll offer it to Ishwara. No, that's not right. When you say action, it presupposes that it is an action based on dharma or values. So karma here means what is right to do in a given situation. It can be called duty or playing the role properly in a given situation or doing what is right. But even while doing what is right, I can do it for my sake. That also, I, I do what is right, but then I, I seek, I am seeking benefit from that. Lord Krishna says, no, do what is right. At the same time, my sarvani karmani sanyasya, offer all actions to me. Meaning that, perform action not for gratification of ego, for gratification of Ishvara, for gratification of the universe. It's a huge thing, it's a big deal, you know, or a tall order, but this is what karma yoga is. At least this much we can do. That we perform an action not for gratification of my ego, I include some other people, more people in me. That is, don't let your life not be confined only to yourself. Let others also have a place in your life. Ideally, the whole universe has a place in my life. That's tough. Let the whole country have a place in my life. That also is difficult. Let the state have a place in your life. Swami, that also. How about having a town in your life? How about a village? How about neighborhood? How about your family? At least your family and your friends and you know, at least people whom you know and whom you like. Let them be, let them have the place in your life. Offer action to whatever you consider, you know, as whatever you can include. So this yoga is a yoga of including. Doing something for ego means excluding everything else. If I exclude, then sense of isolation is only going to increase. Is it not so? As this morning, Puja Swami said, we are suffering from isolation. We are cut off from the source. We are cut off from Ishwara. Ignorance has cut us off from Ishwara. We feel separated from wholeness, completeness, from happiness. So that I feel separated from happiness is cut off. The connection is cut off. Although I am not separated from happiness, but I feel separated because of ignorance. Now suppose I keep on only justifying my ego, keep on gratifying my ego, keep on fattening my ego. What am I doing? In fact, that in the distance or the separation becomes more pronounced. Even though an individual may perhaps make progress in terms of his individual, you know, name, fame, etc., 
But as far as his feeling is concerned, he becomes more and more isolated. They talk of isolation at the top, something like that, you know. Higher you go, more isolated. You don't have to, more isolated you become. Don't have to. But that's what's in people because they don't have intelligence, that is why. Higher you go, more others to exclude. It's not right. Higher you go, more inclusive you should become. A leader should necessarily include everybody who follows. A leader should be devoted to the well-being of all those whom he is leading. Leader should necessarily be a selfless person. Or more selfless you are, better leader you are going to be. Meaning that you are dedicated to the well-being and the growth of all those whom you are leading, who are following you. That is, that is a leadership. Meaning, your karma yoga means including. Here they talk about mai sarvani, mai parmeshvare, sarvagne, sarvashaktimati, sarvanyanti, I who is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, the self of all, offer your actions to me. Offer your action to self of all, that's nice thing. Ishvara is the self of everybody. So therefore, offer action to whoever you come across. Whoever you are interacting, let your attitude be that whoever I am interacting with, may I become an instrument of making that person happy. Contribute something to the happiness or well-being of that person. So at least this attitude that, may I become a contributor to whom? To, if I cannot think of the whole world, at least the person with whom I am interacting. May I become a contributor to the comfort and well-being of this person. But Swami, I hate him. <laughs> but remember that Ishwara is the self of that one also. What is meant by offering or pleasing Ishwara is pleasing the self. So what do you do? Disregard the personality. It's because that person also is what? Person and personality. What do you hate? You can never hate the person. You can never hate self. You can never hate the limitless. You can never hate the non-dual. You only hate the limited. His personality is what you hate. Set aside. Realize that antaryami, the indwelling self is Narayana. Whose mind dwelling self also. So let me please him. Let me create some little comfort. We are not going to, you know, Swami, does it mean I should support him all the way? This moment when you are in contact, do this. People are afraid. If we try to reach out, then what, you know, we are, perhaps, uh, we don't know what we are walking into. We don't know what all will, uh, you know, responsibility will come to us. This attitude, that every moment we are always relating to somebody. There is no moment when you are not related to something or somebody, from morning to evening. It can be your spouse, it can be your children, it can be your neighbor, it can be your colleague. It can be your boss, subordinate, whoever it is, a salesman, a shopkeeper. Some, you know, we keep on interacting with people all the day. In India it can be a postman, it can be a cook, it can be a servant, a clean, a maid servant, whatever. Is Ishwara in that form? That much we should remember. Ishwara comes in all kinds of forms. As Shvetashwada Upanishad says, Tvam Stri, Tvam Pumanasi, Tvam Kumara Utava Kumari. Oh Lord, you are, you are walking in this form of this woman. Hey, you are walking in the form of this man. You are this young man. You are this young woman. You are this old man. In all these forms, tvam jatosi vishvato mukhaya, you have taken all these various forms. Sarvataf pani pahadantada, he's thinking through all the heads, sasra shirasha purusha, through all the heads, seeing through all the eyes, acting through all the hands, walking through all the legs. That is Ishwara. Fortunately, Ishwara is right here. That is why making offering becomes easier. If some place there, then it becomes a little more difficult. 
But here, what is the Ishvara? He comes before us in all these different forms. Swamiji is beggar also is Ishvara, yes. Swami, this fellow, you know, how dirty is, that is also Ishvara. Krishna, Krishna is in Mashtami. That's what Lord Krishna showed how Ishvara can come in all forms. He can come as thief also. That's why he stole also butter. He can come as a mischievous person. He broke everybody's pots and pans. He even, he even kidnapped. He stole away the clothes. He did everything. Just to demonstrate that no outside action denies the fact that the self is Ishvara. Now this requires for us to transcend, if I use the word, the behavior of the personality and relate to the person. In the sixth chapter, Lord Krishna says, treat others as you treat yourself. Atma upamena sarvatra samam pasyad. This is a wise person. Automatically treats others as he treats himself because he knows I am the self. No, I don't know this. Then that becomes my basis. So what is spontaneous for a wise person becomes a value for me. That I want to resp- I should respect the other person as I respect myself, whatever the other person is. Whether it is a servant or a king, a beggar or a wealthy person, whoever it is. Does it mean Swamiji we treat them all equally, same way? You may not treat in the same way, but with the same attitude. Meaning that you treat a child differently, treat older person differently. But as far as the attitude in terms of that respect, love is concerned, it's the same. When Lord Rama returned from forest to Ayodhya, the whole city came to meet with him. Now he has to meet everybody together. So there were as many Ramas, as many people were there. And he met with everybody. But then his way of meeting was different. When he met with somebody elder, he touched the feet. Met with somebody equal, he hugged them. Met with somebody younger, he blessed them. So the way you do, I mean, your, your uh, love is the same. How the love is expressed depends upon a given situation. So Karma Yogi then, you see, we always related to Ishvara. Now we are cut off from Ishvara. How do we establish that connection? By reminding ourselves that Ishvara is everything and in all forms he comes. <clears throat> even birds and trees and plants, not only human beings, in every form, in every living being, even table and chair also. Have respect for table and chair also. Don't throw it like this chair thrown away is inert thing. No, respect everything. Bang the door, don't do that. Kick the floor, don't do that. From the car, rug, you know, pull out the... Uh, don't, don't do that. Respect everything. This respect, the automatically you are going to be environmentally sensitive, you will not disturb the environment. See, the whole teaching is so much ecologically also, in every way. This teaching tells us how to conduct ourselves so that we are sensitive to everything. Mai sarvani karmani sanyasya Offering all your actions to me. Number one, perform actions that are right to perform, which is not easy, because my temptations, my greed, my anger, my resentment, my likes and dislikes pressurize me to do what I like rather than what is right. There is always pressure to do things differently from what is right. I have to subdue that pressure and make myself do what is right. And further, do it in such a manner that it becomes an offering to Ishwara in whichever form he comes. Um, you are working, Swami, where is Ishwara? I am working in an organization. Organization is Ishwara. Offer it there. <clears throat> Meaning be sincere and loyal wherever you are. <clears throat> Adhyatma Chetasa. What is Adhyatma Chetasa? With this understanding that Ishwara is the self of all. And that offering to Ishwara means 
creating some comfort, some happiness for whoever it is that I'm interacting with. That I am the servant of Ishwara, as Shankarajara says, in fact. So what is the attitude? Ishwaraya bhuktivat karomi. Like servant serves a master, so also a karamayogi serves Ishwara, looks upon Ishwara as his master and he is a servant. Then Ishwara who comes in any form becomes my master and I become his servant. So, but this one is servant. You are servant of the servant? Yes. That is my attitude. That makes me humble. So with all humility we do. With respect we do. Because in that form Ishwara is there. So there cannot be any insult. There cannot be any, uh, you know, disrespect to anybody. <clears throat> That's the attitude. How you respect will depend upon who you are respecting. What the form is different. The spirit is the same. The form will vary depending upon the situation. Adhyatma chetasa nirashihi In so doing, asha means desire, hope or desire. Nirashi, free from desire. Free from desire for any personal reward. By doing this, don't expect any appreciation. Don't expect any reward. Don't expect any ego gratification. Don't expect any personal gain. Without the calculation of the personal gain you do this. When personal gain becomes important, then we may do things in a different way. If I have choice, I'll do things in such a way that I, I stand to gain by that. In which case, I may compromise the quality of action. You know, in, in, in Gujarati they say that when this, uh, in villages, you know, the people have a lot of superstition and then somebody is, some, somebody's spirit has entered in somebody, you know, some ghost has come and then, what do you do? So you call those specialists. In every language the word may be different. In Gujarati you bhuo, you know, you call him. And it, it does all kinds of things and then, uh, you know, then shows how there is a, there is a coconut. And in the coconut, if he throws coconut, means that this ghost spirit is gone, you know. He doesn't know what is happening. He also is doing all kinds of things, I guess. And then coconut is thrown, the act is done. But even when this fellow appears to be uh, totally lost, and throwing coconut, and he doesn't throw coconut anywhere. He throws coconut in the direction of his village. So on his way back, he can pick it up. So some calculation is always there, in, you know, when there is personal gain is the, is the, is motivation, then you will always will bend the thing. You will never do it straightforward. This one Mahatma was telling us, he was, a, you know, there were many devotees were there and uh, people had a lot of respect and reverence for him, bring all kinds of gifts for him. So here is one person, a, a very devoted person, a Brahmana, who would come Every day with lot of sandalwood. He's already made sandalwood paste. He would come and apply the feet of this Mahatma. Sometimes wash the feet. Or sometimes, you know what? Then he, he would take away the sandalwood and drink that, you know, number one. Or sometimes having applied sandalwood to the feet, he will then prostrate in such a manner that his forehead touches the feet, his foot. And so he'll remove, then ultimately that all sandal comes to his forehead, you know. Then he will do that and then go. So even in offering the sandal word, he has a calculation as to how to make a gain that sand ultimately comes to his own forehead. You apparently, you are worshipping the feet of this Mahatma. You, you paste a sandal word there. But finally what you do, you take it back. What I'm saying is, whenever intentions are self-centered, how the mind will find ways of fulfilling his sense and self-centeredness? Nirashi, don't be self-centered. Be other-centered. Be centered meaning be committed to really providing comfort, happiness, whatever you, to Ishwara in that form, without seeking any personal gain. <coughs> Nirmamo bhutva, no mamatvam, no sense of ownership, 
Not that I am doing this, this outcome belongs to me. No sense of ownership. Yudhyasva, Yarjuna, fight a battle. To us, that means perform your duty. Vigata Jwaraha. Jwara means Santapaha, Shoka, Vigata Jwaraha, Vigata Shoka, without grief. Oh, I'm losing everything and I'm offering everything. Yes, sometimes so much reluctance that sometimes we make a charity all right. But internally we feel a loss. We feel, you know, these fellows really uh, taken advantage of me. Sometimes beggars come before us. In India, you are driving your car. At the intersection, the red light, the car stops. The beggars spring from nowhere. And they come before you. And they act in the hand is broken, something is done in so pitiable condition. And he does such thing that just creates pity in you. Out of pity you give him some five rupees of water. Having given, then you regret. See, this fellow really has made a fool of me. Anyway, that is, yeah, or whatever. (laughs) But the thing is, so having done that, there is a sense of regret, there is sadness. So sometimes act of giving... When we do not, we are not generous enough. Act of giving creates a sense of loss, sense of being taken advantage of. That's what the charity also given out of compulsion or out of some gain. Yattu pratyupakaratham phalamuddhishyavapunaha diyatecha pariklishtam taddanam rajasamsmutam I give dhanam, charity, all right. But there is not pratyupakara. That a return favor is expected in my mind. Look, I am giving you today a donation for your magazine. Now after six months, I am going to come out with our souvenir. So I will go back to him. So even while I give, there is already a, a plan of how to get the return favor. Oh, suppose I don't ask for a donation. But in my mind, I know that by making this charity, I will learn punya. And that way, okay, I'll go to Swarga or heaven. So when we even make an offering to somebody, it's done with this kind of an expectation or calculation as to what I'm, I have to gain out of that. Or given with a lot of resistance inside. I don't want to give, but I'm made to give. Sometimes the peer pressure and a lot of pressures also make you do things. When you are in public, you know, when other people are doing it, they're pledging and, you know, then you also, how about, you know, people will expect you also to do that. And you also have to do it, suppose. And then you regret in your own mind. So not that way. Vigata jvara. Don't regret. Don't feel a sense of loss. Don't feel sad. Do it happily. All of this to be done, not with a sad face. Not that, what can I do, Swamiji? Uh, you know, I mean, after all, I'm a karma yogi and I have to do this way. Not that way. Vigata jvaraha. Without regret, without sadness, without disappointment. <coughs> yeah, what is this here? Uh, without anger or frustration. Alright, the translation. So, Anger because, you know, uh, anger because I don't think the one I'm doing for is a worthy person, you know, or frustration. No, without anger, without frustration. Do it with happiness, cheerfulness, with love. <clears throat> this is ideal. It will take a whole lifetime to do this. You know, I'm not, it's not going to be that. We, we are talking about Brahma Jnanam, Aham Brahmasmi. That is, I don't know where that is. But even this, what Lord Krishna teaches here, even this itself is very far away. It's a tall order. It requires a complete transformation in our personality. Every little uh, selfish, self-centeredness, every little greed, every little temptation, all of those kachara, all of the impurities are there, all of these will have to go. But that's the whole idea. Even this attitude, and they said this attitude is based on what? Giving, based on the wholeness which is my nature. Then only I can be a giver. If limitedness is my nature, I'm always a seeker, asker, or a grabber. 
I deliberately make myself a griever. So some pain is involved there. Lord can don't do it with pain, but some pain is involved. Slowly, slowly we will overcome the pain and then giving itself will become a pleasure. <coughs> so this is what Lord Krishna says, that when you act in this manner, you are in keeping with the order that is Ishvara, which order is Yajna, as we said, order is nothing but sacrifice. Every element, the whole universe is based on the offering of sacrifice. And so you should join that order. What's the, what is the benefit of this? Of course, benefit has to be there. Not material benefit, but the spiritual benefit is there. And what is that? Next verse tells us that. Ye me matamidam nityam Anutishthanti manavaha Shraddhavanto nasuyantaha Muchyante tepi karma vihe Ye me matamidam nityam Matam. My opinion, translation, my teaching. This is, this is my upadesha. Lord Krishna says, this is my teaching. My upadesha. Not an advice, but the vision that I have given you here. As I said earlier, Bhagavad Gita gives us the understanding of the reality of life. So not only Brahman is reality of, of course, ultimate reality, but what's the reality of the, uni- of the relative world also? This Yajna is a reality, a reality world. Therefore, when you are relating, let that be the basis of your life. Ye me matamidam nityam. This matam, this opinion, this vision, this teaching of mine, anutishthanti manava. Those people who follow anutishthanti, those who follow manavaha, those people who follow this teaching alone can be called manavaha. They alone are worth being called human beings. Other people are not worthy of being called human beings. So Lord Krishna uses the word manavaha. Manava means human being. <coughs> Two things are required. Next line, shraddhavantaha anasuyantaha. Meaning people who live the life of yoga, who live the life of contribution, who live the life of offering. And we discussed yesterday how if I look upon that as my privilege, it's my privilege to be, an, is it not a privilege to be able to give to somebody? When you offer something to somebody, the person who offers, his hand is always upper hand, person who receives, always is lower hand. I cannot offer somebody unless somebody else accepts the position of being a receiver. So therefore, by accepting the position of a receiver, his hand being lower than my hand, he is obliging me. He is favoring me. Otherwise, where is, if, suppose I want to offer somebody, who, who are you to offer him, Swamiji? What do you want? I can do something for you. Who are you to do something for me? Suppose that's what I am told, I can't. So that we can make an offering to somebody. That somebody is ready to receive our offering. That as I said, I seek to create some comfort or happiness for somebody. That somebody is willing, available for that. He is actually favoring me by, by enabling me to do this. So if I make an offering, it should not be out of pride that I am making an offering out of humility, that it is my privilege, it is really grace of Ishwara that he has placed me in a situation where I can make an offering. That everybody is not as fortunate as I am, that other people are not as fortunate as I am, they are more needy than I am, and that such a needy person also is ready to accept the, accept the uh, offering. I consider it myself, I consider myself as privilege. <coughs> Therefore, with this attitude wonders, Shraddhavantaha. Here, Shraddha is required. Faith is required. Faith in what? Faith in this teaching. 
that this is the order. Although this teaching it makes sense. I mean, you know, it's not blind faith. It makes sense. We can see how there is an order in the universe. And the order of the nature of yajna. Offering, self-sacrifice. That is the rhythm. That's harmony in the whole universe. The whole universe is like an orchestra playing this harmony. And you should join that orchestra also. Playing the same tune. But Shraddhavanta, what is Shraddha? That when I do this, it is for my own growth, it will bring about the outcome that Lord Krishna promises here. Muchyante tepi karma bihi, Lord Krishna says that when a person lives a life of karma yoga, as described here, karma bihi muchyante, he will become liberated from karma, he will become liberated from uh, all the bondage, Karma means bondage. Karma doesn't mean he becomes free from activity and he becomes inactive. No. Karma is bondage. People think that karma binds us, so he becomes free from kartratva, free from doership, becomes free from ignorance, becomes free from sorrow. So ultimately, this, as we earlier also Lord Krishna said, asakto hyacharan karma paramapno purusha. When a person performs his duty without attachment to the personal reward, that leads him to param or limitless moksha. Same thing said here. Muchyande tepi karma bihi. Those who live the life of karma yogi, those who perform their duties in this attitude, attitude of offering, attitude of worship, they become liberated from all bondage. In between what is required? Shraddha. Shraddha that this is indeed true. That this is what Lord Krishna says, what he means. He is not just promising us, but then this is what is true. In Vedanta, Shraddha is described, defined as what, you know? Shastrasya, Guru Vakyasya, Satya Buddhyavadharana, Sa Shraddha Kathitha Sadbihi. Or as Tattvogoda says, Guru Vedanta Vakyeshu Vishwasah. Faith of the trust in the statements of the Guru and statement of the scriptures. So statement of scripture here. Muchyande tevi karma vihi. They also become liberated from bondage. Through, of course, there will be knowledge in between. But this creates a ground for knowledge and through, they become, through that they become liberated. Shraddha in this. You know why Shraddha is required? Because we often face lot of difficulties or disappointments also. Things do not always go the way we expect. So even though you have a very sincere attitude offering, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, you are uh, insulted. Sometimes you are uh, rejected. Happens. Meaning that, this process may be sometimes painful, that's the idea. And usually we want to avoid pain. And I think, what, really, Ishwara is really my friend? Does he, is he benevolent? Is he my well-wisher? If he's so, why should he do this to me? Why should this happen to me? So when something happens to us which we do not want to happen, something painful, then these questions arise whether God really listens to me or not. I've been praying for so many years, Swamiji, but my, you write in your book that you perform the prayer, your prayers are answered. Where is it answered? I'm praying. That is also expectation, understand, you know. What can fail is expectation anyway. But then, very often, some expectations are always involved and when they are not satisfied, we lose faith. Wait a minute. This God, does he, does he mean what he says here? Shraddhavantaha, with f- trust, with faith, that this is indeed true. <coughs> shraddha, in Saguna Brahma, Shraddha is required. Nirguna Brahma doesn't require any Shraddha. Saguna Brahma. Ishwara is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. We cannot experience this. Nobody can experience omniscience, omnipotent, omnipresence. That Ishwara is well, wisher. You, you know, it's a matter of accepting Shraddha. That is my well-wisher. That is my father. It is a matter of Shraddha. Someday this Shraddha will, of course, bear fruit and you realize this truth, but pending discovery. 
is not unverifiable uh, belief, it's verifiable belief. You can verify it in your own life, but when you live a life like this, you'll verify it. Until then, shraddha, shraddhavantaha, anasuyantaha, not cavilling, not finding fault with what I'm saying. I think Lord Krishna has an agenda in this. His agenda is he wants Arjuna to fight battle, that's all. So all of this teaching is meant for his personal agenda. Oh, what sort of a teaching is this? He is, you know, divorcing me from all the pleasures and then he is asking me to do all this. You know, nobody else does it. Why should I do that? Is it right for me to do that? In our frustration, we do all kinds of things. Even the person is most reverential also, we get angry and we start abusing. We do all kinds of things we do. Anasuyantaha. Not cavering. Not finding fault, Lord Krishna says, with this teaching. If you want to find fault, you can always find fault. If you want to find fault with Ishwara, you can find any number of faults. What kind of Ishwara is? You say Ishwara has created this world? Yes. Then why is there starvation? Why is there hunger? Why is there pain? Why is all this happening? What kind of Ishwara is it? What kind of creation is this? You want to find fault, you can find any number of faults in anything. Even though the cooking is wonderful, you know, so it is so delicious still. Swamiji, look at the way he served me, you know. Not right. Look at the color of this thing. Not right. Something, you can always find fault with anything because whatever is created is limited. And of course, in order to appreciate the teaching, we have to have what we call the Anukula Chintanam. We should have a way of thinking which is conducive to understanding the teaching. But if we... If we have an approach which is dismissal of what is, then you can find any number of uh, reasons to dismiss this. Your Bhagavad Gita is teaching violence, it's Yudhyasva. Gita is a violent, you know, text teaching violence, very non-violence. Now this you can see, you can, you know, you can find. As the Western scholars, that's what they do. This, the Indian Hindu literature is so vast, so vast. And so many things are there in so many places. You can find something, some passage here. See, this is what this is what Ganesha did. This is what Krishna did. This is what Shiva did. This is what they did. This is how your gods are. That's all. Find something somewhere. You visit a temple, all right, and go to a place where all garbage is. So, see, this is your temple. So you can highlight something and then and say this is a whole, highlight a little insignificant thing and, and magnify it as a whole, you can do that. That's exactly the, that's what the western scholars are doing. When they write about Ganesha, write about anybody. Ram, Krishna, Paramahamsa, Viveka, they can find fault with anybody. And say your Ram, Krishna was like this, Vivekananda was like that, see this is what he did. It's a matter of interpretation of what he did, again of course, they are all psychologists, so then they are all great scholars. And so, from what the saints do, they interpret his psychology and say so he is like this and he is like that, whatever. And see, so they apply psychology to devatas also. So, your Ganesha does this and then Rama does this and Krishna does this and this is that. Point is that there are ways of looking at anything. What we want is a sympathetic way of looking at this. Then alone it can bless you, not otherwise. Anasuyantaha. Not approaching this with the, with, the, with the intention of finding faults, then you have a certain frame of mind. Then with this frame of mind when you perform your karma yoga, then there is a very positive attitude and you see goodness where it is there. Otherwise you fail to see. When the attitude is distorted, you fail to see the goodness of beauty which is there. You don't see it. You have the right attitude, you see what is there. Muchande, tepi karma bihi, they also become liberated from bondage. They will definitely gain the knowledge. This will lead them to purification of mind. And the desire for knowledge will arise, love for knowledge will arise. And the desire for knowledge will arise. That will become the most important thing someday. He will be able to give up all other agenda, make that as his agenda, devote himself completely to the pursuit of knowledge, and gain the knowledge, gain abundance in knowledge. This will happen. It's like an escalator. You have to step on the first step. It will take you all the way. So Lord Krishna says, it will take you all the way. He will be, he will attain moksha. There is no doubt about that. This way Lord Krishna is concluding his 
his discussion on karma yoga. There's one more verse we will see in the afternoon and then proceed with the remaining section. Om Purnamadaf Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashyakruta Vande Bhagavanta Upanapunaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Lakshina Murta Yedamaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Hari Om